0: morning y'all today's reading comes from 1st Samuel we are going to finish up the 16th chapter today I'll be reading uh, starting from verse 14 in chapter 16 the text says now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore therefore Saul sent his messengers to Jesse and said, Send me, David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took to the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. That is the reading of the word, let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for this day now, Lord. We thank you for this time, where as we listen to your word, we enter into further worship. As we hear the living word of God, Father, Hush our hearts, hush our souls, Father, so we could be quiet and take in your word. I ask that you would bless the pastor as he speaks your word forth, Father. Let your spirit dwell in him richly, as well as the listeners. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Lee. Okay, in chapter 1 Samuel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good morning, everybody. I'm going to be talking about waiting this morning. <laughs> oh, he's so clever. Now, we're continuing today in our series in First Samuel. We've in recent weeks seen God tell Saul through Samuel that the kingdom was being taken from him. We saw David be spiritually anointed by God and chosen to be the next king. And we saw that after God took the kingdom from Saul and anointed David, and well, we saw everyone pretty much just went back home and went back to what they were doing. Samuel went home, we're told explicitly, after anointing David. Saul, as we're gonna to see today, is still the acting king. David went back to the fields from where he was called, back to tend his father's sheep. He was anointed by God and then went back to work. And while next week we're gonna be looking at one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible, the story of David and Goliath, where we see an exciting battle and the hand of a sovereign God working for his people, well we still have the end of chapter 16 to consider. And here, well, life just goes on. Saul's just waiting at this point for God to take the kingdom from him. David's just waiting for God to make him king. Samuel's just waiting to see how God's gonna do all that he promised to do. And if we don't pay close attention through reading about this waiting, we can miss how God is working out every detail in the waiting to accomplish his will for his people. And the same is true for us. You know, I know we wanna do great things for God. We want God to work mightily through us, don't we? Through us and our ministries and our church, we we pray for God to move. Every Sunday, God, move. We want to see great things happen, God. We want to see opportunities to save souls. We want to see the kingdom of God advanced. We want to see him do these great things and do them through us. We want to see all the greater things that Christ said we would do. We do. But odds are, after we're done here today, we're just all going to go home. And life is going to go on. And we're all going to go back to work tomorrow. And we're going to have to wait to see that God is doing great things. And the question for us this morning is, will we wait in faith? Because we know we're called to act in faith, right? I mean, I I, I say it every week. I call us to action from the pulpit every week. To by faith, do what God has called us to do as his people. But what about those times that what God is calling us to do is just wait? Like God's calling David to wait. Let's look at our passage today. Verse 14. We read, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. We know he was already rejected as king by God. We see now that God takes his spirit from him. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament didn't operate the same way as he does in the New Testament. And by that I mean the indwelling of the Spirit wasn't what it is today in every case. Now, I miss out of the cross, I missed out of the Ascension, a missed out of Pentecost. Christ's indwelling spirit, spirit is God's presence with His elect. He is our seal and our sign that we are part of God's new covenant. The Spirit is quite literally God's presence on earth in each of us and in all of us together. In the Old Testament, God's presence was in one place. It was in the tabernacle or it was in the temple later. And his people were called to come to him to be in his presence. And they had all those sacrifices they had to do to be able to get into his presence, to make them holy enough to enter into God's presence. But none of those sacrifices, as we know from the book of Hebrews were able to take away the sin of God's people to make them permanently holy. And If you pay attention to all those what could be tedious ceremonial laws in the Old Testament you'll notice that in most cases where there was sin there was death. When someone sinned there wasn't much available to them to allow them to get back into God's presence. Most of the sins were punishable by death. Coming to God and offering sacrifices couldn't provide salvation for sinners because once they sinned, they couldn't be in His presence. So, to provide salvation for His people, to provide His presence to His people, God had to come to us. And He did. In Jesus Christ, who we're here this morning to worship, who we sang all those wonderful songs to a second ago, He came and died to atone for our sin. He died in our place so we could be forgiven and be allowed. Back in God's presence. And after he completed his work, he ascended to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to live within all of those that he saves. And there is a reason that the Bible reveals him as the Holy Spirit. He makes us holy. He allows us into God's presence. He is God's presence within us. And now once he's with you, he is with you forever. Praise God for that. But that wasn't always the case in the Old Testament. Now, God did give his spirit as a permanent saving indwelling of his presence in the Old Testament. We saw with David last week in verse 13 that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So David got the spirit and didn't lose the spirit. But often, under the Old Covenant, the spirit was given to empower people for special tasks that God had them for, usually to lead God's people. Like when we would read that the Spirit would rush on Samson, one of the judges, and give him this supernatural strength. Or like we read back in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, the Spirit rushed upon Saul and he prophesied. So we saw that the Spirit was given to Saul to empower him to lead God's people as king. But here, God removes His Spirit from Saul because Saul had been rejected as king. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. He took His Spirit from him. The spirit that he granted in order for him to lead as long as he was going to be king. But he takes it from Saul and he gives it to David to lead his people. So we see again that this is a spiritual anointing that God gave David. The crown has not passed from Saul to David yet. But the spirit of God has fallen on David. And what we see in this is a transfer from God's favor from Saul to David. This is is a great turning point in the history of Israel. This is a, a huge spiritual turning point in the history of salvation. You know, in the ancient Near East, when a dynasty would come to an end and a new one would come to power, it was believed the gods brought about the change. The gods would reject one house and call another house to power. Well, Israel believed the same thing, only they believed it was Yahweh who did the rejecting and the calling. And that's what he did here. He rejected Saul by taking his spirit and then anointed David and called him. And this is why, as we'll see, David has all the sin in his life, like his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and we'll get to that. And in Psalm 51, after all the his sin, David prays to God, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Realize, David is not praying that God would reject him from his salvation. David is praying for God not to take the kingdom from him, like God took it from Saul here. Saul made himself an enemy of God through his disobedience. He turned his back on God. So God took his spirit. And instead, we're told here, God sends him a harmful spirit. Now, what is this harmful spirit? Well, the majority of the time as words used in the Old Testament, it's simply translated as evil. Sometimes as bad. Sometimes as wicked. And, in addition to that, in the Hebrew, the word spirit doesn't necessarily mean spirit. It can be a description of someone's mental or emotional state. Like when the Bible describes things like a spirit of jealousy or a spirit of justice. Or a spirit of wisdom. It can refer to a person's gifting or his attributes or even his demeanor. But it can also mean a spiritual being. And that's what this is talking about here. It says contrasted with the Holy Spirit. God sends a harmful spirit in his place. And we see this kind of thing in the Old Testament. Like when God wants to remove King Ahab from power, and Micaiah the prophet says this in 1 Kings, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he, meaning God, said, you are to entice him And you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So we see in the Old Testament, God uses other divine beings, what we would call angels, to carry out his will. He uses these spiritual beings as agents of his salvation or of his judgment. And as we see, he does it multiple times to punish kings that failed to lead his people into godliness. And that's what's happening here. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And, of course, when we read these things, this begs the question, is God doing evil here? And, of course, we know the answer to that, right? We've all been taught God does not do evil. God is only ever good. I say it all the time, and I believe it when I say it. God is only ever good. But we need to understand what it means when the Bible says that God does not do evil. Like when we're reading Psalm 5, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. That's our same word here, evil. Or when the Apostle John tells us, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And of course, light is used in the Bible to mean truth or righteousness, and darkness is used to mean deception or wickedness. And we read, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. But yet God says in Isaiah 45, I form light and create darkness, I make well-being and create, create calamity. That's our word here, harmful or evil. I am the Lord who does all these things. So when we read, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful or evil spirit from the Lord tormented him, we need to understand what it means because God has no darkness in him, but he creates darkness. God is not evil, but he creates evil. So how do we reconcile all this? What we need to understand is that and we gotta get this. God is different than we are. <laughs> All right, when we talk about wickedness or evil of creatures, even angels, when we do wickedness, when we sin, that is a willful choice to turn our back on God. That is not of God. That's what Satan did in the garden. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's what Saul did a few chapters ago with the Amalekites. God doesn't do that kind of evil. God doesn't cause that kind of evil. He doesn't create sin. But we can't deny that God does things like here, allow his angels to torment the wicked. We can't deny he sends spirits of harm upon people. The Bible is very clear. And our own experience tells us this, doesn't it? Bad things happen to good people. And this is just another pointer to God's sovereignty. Because what happens in every case is exactly what God intends to happen. Let me say that again. What happens in every case is exactly what God intends to happen. Nothing God intends to happen could not happen. Nothing that happens can happen without God intending it to happen. I think I said that right. Now, that doesn't mean that God causes sin. We do that. It does not take a supernatural act of God for me to sin, I assure you. But God does ordain that harm or calamity or evil or bad will happen. And I apologize going to say bad a lot, and you can tell them from Belleville when I say bad, as my wife points out to me all the time. The reason we have trouble reconciling this sometimes is because there is a difference between our definition of good and bad and God's definition of good and bad. Because in the here and now, God uses evil or wickedness or bad or harm to achieve his good purposes. There is no denying that not only because the Bible tells us this, not only because our own experience tells us this, we to do nothing more than look at what happened to Jesus Christ. Think of what he endured in this world. God uses bad in this world. We see in Christ, God uses bad in this world to achieve unparalleled good in the world to come. God uses bad in this world to create unparalleled good for his people. And this is why. This is why we have to see with spiritual eyes. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus as we say. Why? Because if we get stuck looking around at all the bad going on here, And do I need to convince you that there's a lot of bad going on out there? Do I need to tell you how easy it is to get stuck looking at all the bad instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus? It's overwhelming at times, isn't it? There's no lack of bad in the world. That's why I don't watch the news or network television or go on Facebook anymore. (laughs) It's just everywhere. And if we keep our eyes on these things and allow ourselves to focus on all the bad out there, you know what happens? We'll start to think, well, maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God has forgotten all about me. Maybe God isn't good. But God is good all the time. And this is where faith comes in. Because we can't see what God is doing right now. In a world of sin and death, in a world cursed by God because of our sin, goodness is very hard to see, isn't it? And that's why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Because I tell you, when we get to where we're going, when we see God as He is, the Bible gives us no guarantees we're going to get an explanation for everything He did, does it? But I'll tell you one thing. Even if we don't know why, even if we don't know why God allowed us or someone we love to suffer, even if we don't know why God used all of this bad to achieve His purposes, you know what we will know? Without a doubt, we will know He is good. But while we're here, And we're waiting for that day. There's going to be evil. and There's going to be wickedness. and There's going to be suffering. And there's going to be bad things that happen even to good people. But God's in control of it all. Every last bit of it. And God will use every last bit of it for his glory, for his kingdom, and for our good. That's what God's doing here. He's sending a harmful spirit. He's using bad here to achieve his purposes. This is the first thing. Realize, God uses bad, worldly bad, to achieve his purposes. And the question is, what purpose did God have in orchestrating this bad for Saul? Let's read on. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the liar, and when the harmful when the spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. So his spirit torments Saul as God ordained. And Saul's servants see what's going on and they say, what you need is someone to come here and play you some music when the spirit comes upon you. And while that may sound odd to us, right, we probably tell Saul, go go take up yoga, maybe you need some meds or something, I don't know. But in the ancient world, music was believed to drive away demonic spirits. It would actually be used in exorcisms. Now in Saul's case, this isn't a demon. We know that. This is a, a righteous angel doing God's bidding. But Saul doesn't know that. And his servants don't know that. So God tells his servants, Saul tells his servants, go find me someone to play and let's get rid of his harmful spirit. And his servant says, I know this guy. This guy David, Jesse's son from Bethlehem, and God is with him. And these descriptions of David here where we read a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, man of good presence, all these things. These are just more hero descriptions of the ancient world. As I pointed out, the writer of his book is writing way after David's death. He's looking back on David as David the king. I mean, this is David the king. He's describing him in these ways, reflecting on all God accomplished through him, putting these words in the mouth of his servant. That's not uncommon in the the Bible. It wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. Because at this point, David's not a man of war. You know, we're introduced to David like three or four times in the book, like it's the first time we're meeting him. Have you noticed that? But what the writer's saying here is that David, King David, yeah, that King David. Yeah, he started out playing the liar in Saul's court. So Saul hears of this David and he says to Jesse, send me your son. Now, I want to see the irony of what's going on here, okay? God just took a spirit from Saul and he gave his spirit to David. That's what we're told here that Yahweh is with David. And now he sends a spirit to torment Saul and he gives him this, this harmful spirit. And the one with God's spirit now has to help Saul with the evil spirit. God worked it out this way. As we'll see, God's beginning a a string of events here, some of them very, very bad from a worldly standpoint for David, in order to bring about his plan for David and his people. God's gonna use all of what we see in the rest of the book and the rest of history for the good of his people, for their salvation. What we've seen in the book so far, God has orchestrated it all to get to this point, the rejection of Eli and his sons and the establishment of Samuel, the choosing of Saul as the king of the people to teach them a lesson, and his rejection of him and choosing David. And now we see, because the way God has worked this, Saul's actually bringing David, the next king, he doesn't know it yet, he's actually bringing him to the royal court. And it's ironic because, you know, Samuel warned the people that if they wanted a king, if they turned their back on Yahweh and chose a king, he said, well, then he's going to take your sons and your daughters as servants. And That's what Saul's doing here. He's demanding from Jesse his son. He's taking Jesse's son from him. And that's bad. That's why Samuel warned about it. But it's good. Because God's just making a way for David to get the throne. Now, nobody knew at this point, like I said. No one knew while it was happening that this was God's plan. No one knew while it was happening that God was working out these amazing circumstances for the good of his people. And things were going to get way worse before they got better. But in time, as we go through the book, we'll see. God is working this for the good of his people. Remember Samuel? Also warned the people that if the king who reigns over them follows Yahweh, all will be well with them. But of course Saul didn't, right? And God said, if the king doesn't follow Yahweh, then my hand will be against you and against your king. And this is what has happened. But we see God's goodness in the fact that he used that bad, even the wickedness of sinful men, to bring about his will and bring the good king to the throne for the sake of the people. And listen, if this hadn't happened this way, then David wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to serve Saul. He wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to serve him in the army. And things wouldn't have played out the way they did. Even though David had to wait about another, I guess 14 years to inherit the kingdom, and it's going to be a very bad 14 years for him, God, at this very moment, was using all things to achieve his purpose. God was working it to give the people a king so he could bless them. He's using every circumstance, whether good or bad, from an earthly point of view. And he's using it all for the good of his people. And this is where David again points us to Christ. Let's look back at Christ. I mean, just imagine. Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples. Though you know, Those that did believe Jesus was the Messiah, imagine being one of them. He was a fulfillment of a promise they were waiting for for thousands of years. And then after, you know, the temple's destroyed, the Captives to Babylon, then the captives to the Greeks, then the Seleucids, then the Romans. I mean, Messianic hopes were high. Everyone was just waiting for the Messiah to come. And then all of a sudden, here he is. And he's healing the sick. The blind can see. He's raising the dead. And he chose me. He He chose me, Peter, to be one of his disciples to bring salvation to the world. And then he gets arrested. And then he's sentenced to die like a common criminal. And then he's put on the cross. And he dies. Now, from their point of view, from a disciple's point of view, I honestly, I can't think of something else that can even approach that level of disappointment. Can you? What they couldn't see while it was happening was how God was using all this bad, including the wickedness of sinful man. They couldn't see how God was using it all for his purpose and his purpose was the good of his people. What man saw as bad, God uses good. God ordained that the most terrible thing that ever happened in the history of the world would be the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Because God uses bad to achieve his purposes, but number two, his purpose is the good of his people. Here, God spiritually anoints David, chooses him as king, takes his spirit from Saul, And works it all out. So here's David now in the royal court, in the very home of the king. But there's more. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Jesse, of course, obeys the command of the king, sends David along with gifts for the king. David comes and plays for him. David finds favor in Saul's sight. to the point that Bartola becomes his armor-bearer, and this is an instant. There's a lot of time compression in the Old Testament descriptions of these things. David becomes Saul's armor-bearer. It doesn't happen really for another chapter and a half. This is jumping ahead just to tell us how this all turns out for David. Because it's telling us that God worked all things out to further his purpose. See, not only does David become the court musician, but God gives him favor with Saul, and he becomes his armor-bearer, eventually a leader in the army, eventually a very successful leader in the army. He gains great popularity with all the people. And this is before everyone even knows that he's been chosen by God to be king. And notice here that whenever the harmful spirit would come upon Saul, David would play his lyre, and his spirit would depart. And who was the spirit from? It was from God. So who took the spirit away when David played? It was God. So who gave David favor with Saul? God. Why? So all those things we just talked about would happen. So that David would be able to ascend to where he was before he's even recognized as can God work this all out. And nobody saw it for 14 years. God was working all things to fulfill his ultimate purpose working out details of what needs to happen in order for David to be the king so he could bless the people. 14 years from this moment. Think about that. God's planning David's coronation years ahead of time, not just by anointing with the spirit, but by sending the harmful spirit to Saul, set up the need for the musician to come. One of Saul's servants just happens to know this David guy. David comes, removes the harmful spirit. Saul loves David. He finds favor. He's his armor bearer. All of a sudden, he's in charge of the army. Next thing you know, everyone loves him. But think even further back. Think about the fact that David was already skillful in playing the lyre. I tell you, as a musician, to be skillful, I hope to be someday, he would have had to have been playing the lyre for years at this point. So God was setting this up even before this moment. God gifted David in music years before this so that when this moment came up with Saul, he could get into the court and eventually ascend to a throne. Now think about that the next time your kid tells you they want to play drums. Consider it. Now am I saying, God uses every little thing we do to fulfill his purposes from whether or not we take piano lessons or drum lessons. Yeah, that's the point. But very rarely can we see how or why God is using everything while we're in it, right? Until it's hindsight, we can very often not see what God is doing. And even then I have trouble understanding it sometimes. But while we're in it, and God's perfect plan is being worked out, we just tend to see all the bad that's happening. We tend to forget that God has a purpose and that his purpose is always the good of his people. We're not good at waiting. We are very much an instant gratification species, aren't we? I mean, we really are. I mean, this is why when my wife and I go out for a bite to eat and I find out it was a 45-minute wait, I'll spend an hour and a half to find a place with no wait. <laughs> You've all done it, right? So when we have to wait... We have to wait through bad. We have to wait through bad for years before God's purpose is realized. We get discouraged, sometimes our faith wavers. We start to doubt whether God is really good. We forget that God uses all things to achieve his good purpose. Because we forget that God doesn't work in our timing. God is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, toward those whose good he is working out. That's why we can look around at any given point in time, and we can see all the things that are wrong. And we can see all the bad, and we could wonder, God, what are you doing? We don't have to wonder. We can know what God is doing. God is working it all out for our good. And while he works it out, we need to remember our idea of good and bad and God's ideas of good and bad. Otherwise, we are going to lose patience. We are going to lose hope. We are going to lose faith. We're going to forget that God is good. Remember, God uses bad to achieve his purpose, and his purpose is the good of God's people. But always remember, God doesn't work according to our timing. This is something the Bible makes very clear. If you read the blog post from this week, after being asked a very good question about David waiting, about how he waited for years, I wrote about how the history of redemption is a history of waiting. It's a history of waiting. It's all God's people do is wait and wait and wait, and they endure trials and they endure bad while they wait and wait and wait. It's all over the Bible. Abraham and Sarah had to wait. Noah, Israel in Egypt, Israel in the wilderness, Israel in captivity, Israel waiting for the Messiah. Think about Joseph, all the bad he endured in Egypt, and God planned it all for good. I mean, here's a dude who was betrayed by his own brothers. Nine of them wanted to just kill him outright on the spot. They sell him into slavery, that he's wrongfully imprisoned. He's for God in prison. This is all bad, isn't it? Oh, no. God worked it all for the good of his people. We'll see David's weight in a lot of detail in the rest of the book. Saul's gonna be looking to kill him. The entire army is gonna be after him. He will have to literally live in a cave. Finally, leave a door open, right? He's gonna lose his best friend. He's gonna be separated from the people of God. This is all bad, isn't it? No, but God uses it all for good. And of course, we have the king that God promised to David. The one who would rule forever. Jesus Christ. He obeyed God perfectly. He spoke the truth of God perfectly. And he was tortured and killed for it. And that horrible bad turned out to be the only good we ever needed. And so we should remember people like Joseph, who through faith was able to just forgive those who wronged him, to forgive the bad of man in light of the good of God. We should remember David, who refuses to take matters into his own hands, patiently waits on God to work it all out. And it wasn't easy. David felt hopeless at times. David felt like he just couldn't wait anymore for God to act. But his faith never wavered. Look at some of his psalms. Look at Psalm 13. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David waited in faith during the bad because he believed that God was only good. And we should look to the best example of all, Jesus Christ, who surrendered himself, his well-being, his his own life, who suffered unimaginable bad as he hung on the cross with our sin on his shoulders. I mean, he just as easily could have written Psalm 13, right? Right? as he sat there in all that pain and endured the apparent victory of his enemies, as he waited for God to work salvation through him, and yet knowing what was coming, when the task was right in front of him, when he was enduring the bad and getting ready for it to only get so much worse, he dropped to his knees and he said, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And I can give so many more examples. But just notice what we see here with David. Verse 23 again. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, God took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. David waited on God. David had faith in whatever circumstances God placed him in, and and it gets bad. He was God's chosen king. He was anointed by God. And yet here he was, willing to just sit there and play his guitar for the guy he knew wasn't really supposed to be king. So, we see God uses bad to achieve his purposes. Number two, we see that his purpose is always the good of his people. Number three, we see that God doesn't work according to our timing. But number four, we see that God calls us to faith while we wait. If you read this last week's blog, I gave a little bit of my testimony, but I'll give you a brief portion of it here. when, when I was saved by God, it's a very unremarkable story. I was just sitting on my bed reading my Bible. I got to John 3:3, 3, 3, and life just changed. When I tell you, I knew almost instantly that God was calling me to be a pastor, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for God to be able to take me out of a secular world and be a pastor, and I waited a very long time. And even in my last church where I was pastor, I was only doing that part-time, then the church closed, and we showed up here at MCC, and Gloria gave me a kiss, and we never left. <laughs> True story. And when we got here, I decided I must have been wrong. I don't know what God has in store for me, I'll just wait to see what it really is, but clearly I wasn't meant to be a pastor of a church but God worked it all out in his time. Every detail that led me to my part-time pastor role, to coming here to Montclair Community Church, to having the privilege of being your pastor today, every detail over the course of 17 years was worked out by God. And I can only see it now. And I know that that 17 years, that God bringing me here to you is just such a small detail in the plan that he has for us as a church. And I believe, my whole heart, that God is working out every detail in each of our lives to make us exactly what we need to be, all for his glory, all for his kingdom, and all for our good. And You know what, it might not be this year. We might not see what God is doing. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's more than 17 more years. And all we can do, brothers and sisters, is wait in faith for God to reveal that to us. And that means, like we see with David today, we just need to faithfully be where God has us right now. We need to just faithfully do what God has already called us to do right now. We need to trust that even though we can't see it, God is working right now. He is working amazing things that he is planning to do through us. And all we can do when God calls us to is pick up our guitar and play for the king. What does that mean for us? Well, all we can do is what God calls us to do. We need to be faithful to God. As a church, we need to be faithful to each other, we need to be faithful to the truth. Because that's what waiting in faith is. Because we have a choice. See, we can be like Saul. We can take our eyes off of God and on the world around us. We can be distracted by what we call good, right? Like Saul. Try and gain for ourselves the best of what the world has to offer, like Saul did. And God can stop using us. Or we can get distracted by all that bad from our point of view and get lost in the circumstances around us, in the suffering, all the evil, and the wickedness. And we can sit and ask God why. And we can start to doubt his goodness. And we can take matters in our own hands, try to do things our way. Or we can just wait. We can wait in faith and we can, like Joseph, believe that God's working out something great No matter how much earthly bad we suffer. And with that faith, God can do great things. We can, like David, believe that God is in control and refuse to take matters into our own hands. And God will do great things with that faith. And we can, like Christ, even though, make no mistake, we know it will mean suffering, it will mean pain, it will mean rejection. It will mean loss of the things that we think are good. But we can decide to obey God right where he has us. And we can drop to our knees. And we can say, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And God can do great things with a faith like that. So brothers and sisters, listen, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're going to go through, no matter what we're all going to go through. We need that faith to wait, to remember God uses all things, even the bad things, for good. We need to wait with faith, remembering God doesn't work in our time, but he never stops working. And we need to remember, above all, brothers and sisters, that all we can do while we wait is have faith and God can do great things. Let's pray. (sighs) Glorious God, I thank you this morning. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that your goodness is directed at us I thank you that no matter what we see in this world, no matter what it seems, no matter how it feels sometimes, no matter how dark, Lord, it seems, that you are working all of that for our good, that you are doing wonderful things for your glory and for your kingdom, and to work the salvation of your people, God. Even when we don't see it, and we get impatient, and we ask, why, God? Why did you do this? Why didn't you do that, God? Give us the faith, Lord. Give us the faith to know that you're using all things for your purposes, that your purpose is always our good and your glory, God, and help us to wait in faith right where we are, God. Help us to believe what your word says. Help us to believe the testimony of the Spirit within us. Help us, God. Help us to remember who you are, And I thank you, God, that you have given us so many examples, Lord, in our own lives. We can look back and see how your hand was working the whole time even though we thought it wasn't. We wondered what you were doing, but we wondered where you were. That you were right there the whole time, God. Give us faith to believe that at every moment. Give us faith that you can use, Lord. As you work out the details, give us faith that you can use. And Lord, we can't We're so weak, God. We can't. We can't do it on our own. Lift our eyes to you. Lift our faces to see your glory. Lift our hearts, God. Give us encouragement to believe, even in the bad, that you are good, that you have great things in store for your church, that you have great salvation to work through those with the faith to wait. And God, work through us. Give us the faith to wait on you. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.